We think that that's one of the reasons this area has become so popular and the development works so well here is because the municipal housing company really tried to involve all different stakeholders. They've really done a great job in trying to bring the different stakeholders together. Creating Green Cities, the podcast about urban nature-based solutions. We feature stories from people and projects that are greening Europe's cities with their ideas and initiatives. Welcome and thanks for tuning in to Creating Green Cities, a podcast by Ecologic Institute as part of the Naturevation Project, where we discuss urban nature in all its glory and hear from inspiring urban innovators who lead initiatives to make European cities greener. In today's episode, we'll investigate another aspect which is key to the successful implementation of urban nature-based solutions – governance. Governance is an overarching term used to describe different activities related to governing or managing a certain initiative, project or area of activity. In this sense, governance refers to a wider set of activities than the actions of a government and its institutions. Governance can include multiple public and private actors who engage in a dialogue and work together to address a common problem or who compete with one another to gain power over a certain issue. There are different forms of governance. One classification would broadly divide the governance forms into top-down, bottom-up and collaborative approaches. Top-down governance refers to initiatives started and primarily led by government actors, such as politicians, local planning authorities, environmental ministries or decision-makers. Bottom-up initiatives, on the other hand, are started and primarily led by grassroots movements, citizen and community groups or non-governmental organisations. While these organisations often provide time, knowledge or materials, they frequently involve volunteers to jointly implement projects. Finally, collaborative governance initiatives describe collaborations between stakeholders from different sectors but with similar interests. In practice, few initiatives are managed exclusively by government actors or grassroots initiatives. While they can be started by a specific actor, managing them often involves collaborations between different actors who contribute to their implementation and maintenance in various roles throughout their lifetime. While there's no one-size-fits-all approach to governance and no absolute best governance model, there's strong evidence supporting the added value of involving various actors throughout the design, implementation, maintenance and monitoring stages of nature-based solutions in collaborative approaches. In the previous episode, Gabino Caballo from the Municipality of Barcelona explained how his team monitors the state of urban trees as part of the city's tree master plan. In preparing the master plan, the city consulted an unprecedented number of actors. So it's probably, as, as far as governance goes, it's probably the most widely consulted plan in the history of the city of Barcelona. When we started with this, it was going to be a master plan. It was going to be a relatively standard, straightforward document that we were going to write internally. And very quickly, we realized we needed to talk to just about everybody in the local authority, but also people like suppliers, practitioners, professional associations and entities, and various other metropolitan areas, people that we do know work with in the city. So at the end of the day, we did 54 working sessions and more than 715 people took part in these sessions. And basically, if I go through the list, we work with five different participants and people, experts in arboriculture, people that supply trees. We had sessions with them. 
we also have with different professional associations, not only in Barcelona, not only in Catalonia, but across Spain, more than 20 different entities that work on sustainability, including neighbor representatives, uh, citizens' representatives, different associations, and that's what's, that involves more than 45 people. And then we work with virtually all the other um, public institutions in Barcelona, people that work with license for uh, urban street usage, like people that allow you to set up terraces in the street, people that work on building works, a public health agency, the Zoologic Park, Botanical Institute, Barcelona Regional, which is like the strategic body for Barcelona, the Metropolitan Area Body, the Park of Coiserola, which is a natural park just um, behind the city, the people that collect rubbish, uh, the people that manage energy, the people that design the city, the uh, urban model, so on and so forth. We literally spoke to everybody. And in the very end, we actually ended up talking to the gardeners, to the people that actually are in the ground some of whom probably have never been consulted ever on the work. You know, the people have been working as gardeners, managing trees, uh, managing shrubs, managing lawns, but they were never asked, how do you think should trees be managed in the city? We actually have more than uh, 500 gardeners working for the city, and they were consulted in a number of workshops that were quite extensive. In that respect, this, this plan has been consulted massively across the city. So we are very, we're very proud of this exercise in this respect. Why then would the city invest a considerable amount of time and resources to discuss its plan with so many actors across the city? Gabino explains. It went this way because we realised that the understanding of trees in the city is very limited. Um, those of us that work on the field think that people understand trees. Truth is, otherwise, people do not understand trees. So this exercise, I think, has been very, very helpful in determining you know, a number of strategies, for instance, with uh, regards to the use of water and watering. People responsible for water have a very clear view of what the, what the future of water in the city will be. From the point of view of the plants, we have another opinion. That's the written ongoing debate that's actually quite healthy. There are other advantages to having a widely consulted plan. So now we have a baseline from which we can start the conversation. And when things get tough, and I don't know whether you know, but sometimes managing a city is very tough. Um, there are different interests that, that you need to balance. And um, people say, well, I do not know about trees. Now we can say, yes, you do know about trees because we consulted you and you replied. At the very end, at least you have a defense line. You can always say, yes, you do know. And it makes the conversation easier. A number of institutions literally didn't see the trees. Now they see them. It creates a baseline where you can actually engage in a useful conversation. For instance, when you're talking about trees in the street and uh, construction works, for a lot of people, trees were just um, objects, something that bothered them. They, they just wanted to get rid of the trees, to do whatever they need to do in the street. They didn't see them as valuable um, assets. And they didn't see them as infrastructure or they didn't see them even as uh, living things. They just thought they were there, you know. And they, they also thought that trees grew naturally, that if you left a hole in the street, you'll get a tree after a while. I think we've changed that. People now understand that trees need a certain infrastructure. I think that the trees were a little bit of a forgotten neighbors in the city. And nowadays they're beginning to, at least in Barcelona, they're beginning to take on a, on a personality of their own. So we hope that at the very least people will respect them more. The municipality of Barcelona has found that engaging hundreds of interested stakeholders in a discussion and trying to create a shared understanding of the multiple benefits of urban trees was a crucial building block for the success of the city's tree master plan. These processes helped to create public support and foster a sense of ownership for the nature-based solutions.
In the Swedish city of Malmö, the municipal housing company has seen benefits in not only consulting different actors, but in working together with everyone from private actors to tenants to realise its projects. We asked Tanya Hasselmark-Mason and Mikaela Gomez from the Swedish Green Roof Institute to tell us more about the collaborative process that resulted in the construction of Augustenborg, a pioneering eco-district in Malmö. The area of Augustenborg was built in the 50s when there was an economical boom in this area because of Malmö's shipping industry in the Western Harbour. So the eco-city itself was not developed until the end of the 90s. It was an initiative started by the service department in Malmö municipality together with MKB, which is Malmö's municipal housing company and the water sewage department. Also the agriculture university played a part. So they applied for EU funding with an aim to develop or redevelop the area by solving the environmental and social problems that had affected the neighborhood. We think that that's one of the reasons this area has become so popular and the development works so well here is because the municipal housing company really tried to involve all different stakeholders. So that's everything from the local community that were living in the houses. They were a part of designing some of the features that are here, as well as us being the Scandinavian Green Roof Institute have been involved, Sweden's or Malmö's municipal water and sewage company have also been involved. Um, So they've really done a great job in trying to bring the different stakeholders together. What we see today is that many neighbourhoods have very many different actors and entrepreneurs that come in to build houses on different plots (laughs) and then it's just one plot separately at a time and that's their focus and they've got economy or budget for exactly that house they're building. What's special in Augustenborg is that this uh, municipality housing company owns almost the whole neighborhood and that made it of course a bit uh, easier for them to zoom out and take a big perspective of the whole area. Tanya and Mikaela explain the reality of living in a neighbourhood where the residents are actively consulted and involved in the area's management. They have a system in place where you can contact the company and speak to them directly about issues that you're having. Otherwise, they have these workshops where the community kind of gets together and discusses problems that they're all facing, changes that they would like to see. And then There's also different activities where people get together and there's an urban gardening club where people then can perform the gardening solutions and hobbies that bring people with different interests together. And then from there, they kind of figure out what's working and what isn't working. They often go first to the people living in the area, check in what they think is a good thing, if there's something negative, if they're missing any features or functions in their area, and then trying to um, um, they try to kind of work yeah. with them to kind of solve those issues that mainly the people in the area are having. Mm. Oh, well, I, I just come back to the social aspects or the involvement of the inhabitants all the time and the way that the municipality housing company, sometimes, of course, with support from the municipality, involve the inhabitants, communicate to them what they're doing, why they're doing it, make the kids in the schools in the neighborhood feel proud of what they have here and so on. Tanya and Michaela have pointed out that one of the enabling factors that allowed the successful creation of the Augustenburg eco-district was the fact that the municipal housing company owns the entire area and could approach its development in a holistic and strategic manner. 
there's a similar line of thinking behind Barcelona's tree master plan. The city understood that maximising the benefits that urban trees bring to the densely urbanised city requires a strategic approach. Fragmented management of urban green by individual districts and disregarding the role played by trees growing on privately owned areas would not be enough to explore the full potential of the city's canopy cover. This brings us to another aspect related to the governance of nature in cities. While the management of urban green areas has long been the domain of dedicated municipal agencies or departments, cities are increasingly experimenting with different approaches to mainstream nature-based solutions. What do we mean by mainstreaming? Well, the idea is to eventually include nature-based solutions and urban nature as a key consideration in different sectoral policies and integrate them in city-wide strategies to address specific challenges. Logan Strenchok from the Central European University explains the thinking behind such an approach using the example of green roofs. Green roofs is, uh, besides things like improving insulation in buildings or improving the the heating, cooling and ventilation systems in buildings to become more energy efficient. The green roof is an important retrofitting option to reduce the environmental impact of the already built city infrastructure. But it must come along with strict, prioritized policy to really rethink increasing the amount of built infrastructure in cities and increasing the amount of the impermeable space, which we're doing continuously. We need to prioritize expanding the amount of unbuilt area or, or underdeveloped area so that nature can do, uh, nature can provide, not just provide the services, but thrive as it would naturally without our interjection or without our disturbance. And if policy starts prioritizing this, of course, we'll start to see some of the positive benefits that it does have on society in, in creating more livable community space and, and resulting in fresher air and doing some of the providing some of the services like naturally filtering water, which which falls to the ground surface as well. If we were talking about policy initiatives to encourage uh, the expansion of green roofs, they shouldn't only be targeting new built buildings, but we should be looking into retrofitting already existing buildings and adding green space and, and biodiversity corridors to already existing buildings, because then we could have the benefits of increasing the biodiversity value of already existing urban space without necessarily needing to have the huge new embedded energy footprint in a new construction or in a new building. And also we need to be thinking about how can we extend the benefits of something like a green roof to lesser served communities. So some of the least served members of our communities are living in some of the oldest and poorest performing buildings from an energy perspective, from a clean air perspective. So things like accessible roof gardens shouldn't only be in the newest and fanciest types of developments for already wealthy people. We have to start thinking about extending some of these programs or incentivizing these programs or making them become realistic to lesser served communities as well. As we can see, creating green cities often goes hand in hand with governance and policy innovations. All of our podcast guests agree, if you want to be successful in creating and managing initiatives related to urban nature, you have to talk to people, consult with them, capture their ideas, engage them in a discussion and invite them to work with you on bringing your idea to life. If you'd like to explore this topic, we invite you to check out the action section on the Naturevation Project website. 
It contains numerous resources on governance of nature-based solutions and citizen engagement. You can also learn more by joining the Urban Nature online course on the Coursera platform. We'll post all the links in the show notes. Once you know how to manage your initiative, another important question arises. How to finance it? In the upcoming podcast episode, we'll talk about business models and discuss an important question with our guests. Who should pay for urban nature-based solutions and why? Thanks for tuning in and see you soon.